We are concluding our series today on Divergent. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so if you want to turn there, you can do that. We're going to be looking in the first seven verses in, in just a few moments. But uh, one thing that I am, I'm figuring out is if you are going to be good at anything, one thing that you have to do is you have to practice. Uh, practice is very important. I know that uh, if you're a basketball fan, Allen Iverson might not think that it's all that important, but practice is important. Uh, one thing I enjoy doing that I'm, I'm not any good at is I, I enjoy playing golf. But as much as I enjoy playing golf, one thing that I do not enjoy is practicing. And so what I do is I get my car, I drive to the golf course, and I walk to the first tee with Kirk Thurston and hit a blistering drive straight right into the trees. And the reason why I'm not good at golf, other than the talent thing, is I don't practice. I mean, I just absolutely refuse to practice. But if you're going to be good at something, then it takes quite a bit of practice. Now, I read a story about a lady named Kim Road, who in the 2012 Olympics, she's an American skeet shooter. And for the 20th year, her, it's her fifth Olympics, she won her fifth medal in five consecutive Olympics. In 2012, it was the gold. Now they asked her, they said, well, how do you prepare for the Olympics? Listen to what she does. Every day, every day of the week, all the time, she takes between 500 and 1,000 shots. They said that before in one year, that means she took three, over 300,000 practice shots. For the four years preceding the Olympics, she took over a million practice shots. Now, can you say that is a lady who likes to practice? I mean, I see all those shots that she took, and I think, well, she better have won the gold medal. I mean, this was a lady that is absolutely prepared. Now, as we are concluding our series on Divergent today, one thing that I, that I hope that we are seeing, talking about being different, Divergent means to go a different path. It means to live a different way. And that, that is how Christ has called for his followers to live. But if we are going to be different, if we are going to live differently than the rest of the world, it's real simple. It takes practice. And we've seen over the last couple of months that God has called us to live differently in, in our behavior. He's called us to live differently in our marriages. And today we're going to see that God is calling for us to approach life differently than the rest of the world. And in particular, concerning the, the world moving to its conclusion, our lives moving to their conclusions. God has called us even to be different in that circumstance as well. Now today in our scripture, Peter shared with believers some directives on how we are to be prepared for the end. Okay, we had Bible study this past week, and in our group I was uh, I, I brought up a couple little things, and everybody said, would you please quit talking because you are Debbie Downer. And so you, if y'all seen the SNL skit, like, wah, wah, wah. That was me on Wednesday. Now let me share with you why. I'm talking about being prepared for the end. If you, have, if you have your phone out, our group already did this, so y'all don't have to do it again. If you have your phone, I know that you have it turned off because you want to be so focused in. Uh, but if you have it, you can turn it back on and go to your calculator. I want y'all to do this, okay? So if you have it, go to your calculator. If you don't, you know, if you have pen and paper, you can do this because you're mathematical geniuses. All right, the average lifespan, okay, this is just average. 
and to make it easier, is right around 25,000 days that you will live. It'll be a little bit more than that, but we'll just say 25,000. All right, now here's what I want you to do. Take your age, you know, Brian, you know, 23, and then uh, take that age and then times it by 365. Okay, so your age times 365. You don't have to say what your number is. Okay, then take that number and subtract it from 25,000. That's about how much time you got left on average. Isn't that awesome? Yay! Debbie Downer, that's me. All right, so I did it, and I'm looking at that number. This is from a book. Brian, your dad gave me this book, by the way. And so I, I, read, I was like, it was awful. And I looked, I was like, I am already over two-thirds of the way done on average. I did it with a lady in our church this morning. She's 550 over. And so she was, she laughed. No, I'm kidding. So it was awful. All right, so we're talking about coming to the end. Now, I, we do that. Y'all, life is moving on. It is moving on, and whether you think, I mean, some of us, we think we got an eternity to live. Let me tell you something, that 25,000 lesson, oh my gosh. I was like, time is moving on. So if it's moving on, it means the end is near. And it's nearer for some of us than we thought. But here's the deal. We better be prepared in how we're going to spend the days, you know, on average, that we have. Now, today in our passage of Scripture, Peter shared with the people, he said, and the end is near. The end of what? The end of time. The end before Jesus comes back. The end of our lives. There's no doubt that if you look through the Bible, you're going to see that through the Bible, the end is mentioned time and time again. That's why as we look at verse number 7, Peter said, now the end of all things is near. So if that's the case... How are we going to spend our time? Let me tell you something. If we're going to spend it wisely, it takes practice. There's some things that we need to be practicing to be divergent, to be different in living than the rest of the world decides they're going to live. In verse number 7, it, it says that the end is near. That can be a little bit tricky because when you look at that, this was written 2,000 years ago. Peter says, hey, the end is near. And you, might look at him, and you might look at that and say, I, know, I got him here. I mean, if he's making a prediction, he is wrong. Because it's, it's, it's near and the 2,000 years has passed. Now, I don't know what kind of end he's talking about, but the end surely wasn't near when he said this. So what's he talking about? Well, again, there's a, I, I can be honest with you and say, I'm not real sure. I know he's talking about the end of days, but what did he mean by that? Well, I do know this. We don't base doctrine, our doctrine, off of one verse. Because in many other places, Jesus tells his followers, you don't know when I'm coming again. You have no idea when the end is going to come. As a matter of fact, a couple of verses I'll share. Uh, it says, so when they come together, this is Acts 1, it says, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. So do we know when the end is? Well, Jesus is very clear, you don't know. Only God knows when it's going to happen. So what is Peter talking about here? Now here's what I believe. I believe that as Peter watched everything that had happened in, to, in his life at this point, he's already been a disciple, he's seen Jesus die, he's seen Jesus rise again from the grave, he's heard his preaching and his teaching where he talked about his return, and Peter saw all these things and said, you know what, he is coming back. He is definitely coming back. I've seen him keep his promises, so you better be ready. 
You better be prepared. You better be ready for when the end is coming. So the question for us is, okay, if the end is near, whether physically for me in my death or when Jesus comes back, how do I need to be prepared? How should I spend my time? How should you spend your time to be different than the way the rest of the world lives? Now, Peter gives a few directives. He starts off, says, here's how you spend your time. He said it begins with prayer. As you approach the end, he says, be a people of prayer. Uh, Verse number seven, he says, now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-headed and disciplined for prayer. You know, if some way we, we had the date of when the world was coming to an end or when our life was going to end and we were able to mark it down on our calendar, it's March 30th this year. It's all coming to a close. I'm, I'm just saying that's, I'm just using that hypothetically. It's not. I mean, I don't know. So you just mark that. And if you could mark that down on your date, on your calendar, what would you do in the meantime? Now, I think there'd be some of y'all saying, hey, I got some things on my bucket list that I'd like to check off before March 30th gets here. So I'm going to go out and do some things. I think it'd be others of you, and you're going to look at it and say, uh, I'm going to have a good time. I mean, we're, gonna, we're just going to party, just have a big blowout, and I mean, this sucker's going down anyway. Let's just ride it out having fun. And then there's going to be others of you who are going to be like me. Remember, I'm Debbie Downer. And so the way I'm going to ride it out is I'm going to be freaking out every day. And I'm going to be sitting there, I'm going to be worried about what's going to happen, and I'm going I'm to worry until I die. And so I won't have any fun. Okay, now there's a lot of different ways that people would approach the end But when I look in our scripture today, Peter says how we are to approach it. And he doesn't say really any of those things. He says you are to approach it by being a people of prayer. Now when we talk about the end, here's what's interesting. This isn't something that's just brought up in order to make people feel down or desperate. The Bible over and over again speaks of the return of Jesus. Now let me give you some interesting stats in the Bible. Uh, of one out of every 30 verses in the Bible speaks of the return of Jesus. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible speaks of the return of Jesus and the coming kingdom of God. Um, of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there's over 300 references to Jesus coming back. 20, in the 24 out of 27 books in the New Testament, they mention the return of Jesus. Then you go into the Old Testament. And you see that all the minor prophets, you see David and Job, all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about the coming of the Messiah and the end of time and the return of Christ. Jesus himself spoke often about his own return. And so whenever you look through Scripture, you see there is definitely a doctrine that speaks of the return of Jesus. So, in light of that, how are we to respond? Peter says... That we are to be clear-headed, clear-minded, and disciplined for prayer. Which is sort of a strange response to me. If I know the end is coming, how am I going to spend my time? I'm going to pray. I'm like, why? If it's coming, why in the world am I going to pray? Here's why. Because prayer is powerful. And we talk about it all the time. But guys, prayer changes, it changes everything. Now, we're told in James 5.16, the urgent request or the urgent prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. 
And so Peter is saying, as the time is moving to a close, one thing you want to do is you want to communicate with God because there are people all around us who are not ready for the end. And so Peter is saying, you want to be lifting them up in prayer so that God will get them ready for whenever the end does come. Now, remember, the people that Peter's writing to here, they're living, they're living under Roman rule. Nero is the emperor. He hates Christians. Some, some, of the, some of the believers had to be at a point where, you know, if you can't, you can't beat them, you might as well join them. Let's just ditch this faith thing and just go along with the flow. But Peter says the end is coming. And so instead of giving up, he says, use your communication line with God to talk to him because there is power when you pray. That's why this year the focus of our church is, is the year of 100. Um, we've been handing out bracelets. So we started it last week. Uh, this little bracelet right here says 100. And what we are doing with the 100 is we are praying that this year that we'll see 100 people come into a relationship with Christ through, through you guys, through us. That's our prayer. And we're praying that one, at least one day a week that there's somebody specifically that you are praying for that God would touch their lives, that God would open up a door for you to serve that person, to invite them into the church, that you will be praying that this year that person will come into a relationship with Jesus and forever change their lives. And so we're, we're, we're giving out these bracelets as a reminder for you to do that. Now I'm going to ask you all a question. How many of y'all, and this isn't embarrassing, but how many of y'all don't have a bracelet? We just started handing them out. How many of y'all don't have a bracelet? Uh, man, a lot of y'all. Here's the cool thing. You're getting ready to get one. Right now, so our guys are come out. They're going to hand out some bracelets. All right, so every y'all, once y'all lift your hands up again, so they can all see you, and then every, everybody's got their hand up. These are bad people. I'm kidding. Uh, so y'all, so y'all get the bracelets, and I just want you to put, I just want you to put it on, and it's it's not really for anything other than than to remind you, to remind you what we are praying for this year. So so why when when Peter says when we are coming to the end of time, why are we to pray? Guys, let me tell you something. When you pray, you are talking to God. And God has the ability and the power to change all things. Good job, Gary. Man, this is like being at a baseball game. Throw a sack of peanuts and bracelets. Um, so put these things on. Now let, let me share with you an example of what prayer does and why we pray. First of all, we pray for this reason. Because time is short. And you don't want to waste or fritter away the time that you have when there are people who need to know that there's a God who gives hope. Back in the early 1900s, there was a man named Joe Evans. He lived in England. And he said, I, he said one night I was in my bed, and he said, I had this overriding urge to pray for the king of England. He said, I didn't know the king. He said, I just had this passion to pray for him. It was King Edward VII. He said, so I, I got on my knees. He said, I began to pray fervently that God would rescue his life. He said, I knew he was not a believer. Uh, his mother was Queen Victoria, who reigned for like, like 60 years. And so Edward VII is waiting all this time to become king. I mean, he's like a prince as an old guy. And he, he gets bored. And so he starts trying to have fun, and he, he lives a life of, I mean, he's just a very immoral man, a life of debauchery, all those things. And becomes king finally in 1901. He reigned for nine years. Well, Evan said as he prayed for him, he said, I really sense that God heard my prayer. He says, powerful. 
And he said, then I woke up the next morning, and I saw on the newspaper, in the newspaper, it said King Edward died. He said, I just prayed for the guy. I'm thinking, don't pray. If y'all are like that, don't pray for me like that. He prays for the king. The king's dead. Okay, so he's like, well, God, what's up with that? He said, a number of years later, he was eating with a friend of his who worked in government, and he was, he was a Christian, and he told him, he said, Joe, did you know that the night before the king died, that he became a follower of Jesus. And Evans was stunned. That's when he prayed for him. He said, tell me about it. He said he was lying in his bed. He was very ill. And he called for one of his servants to bring him a Christian tract that his mother had given him when he was a boy. And she brought it into him. He read it. And he got on his knees. He repented of his sin. And he asked Jesus to be his Lord. And then he died. Now, why do we pray? Guys, let me tell you something. Prayer is real. And prayer impacts lives. So as we are moving to the end, how, how are we to live? How are we to be divergent? You will be divergent if you are a people of prayer. So as you approach the end, you pray. Well, what else are we supposed to do? How else are we supposed to, to spend our time before the end comes? Well, we're to spend our time also in love. So there's prayer. And then another thing that we're to do is to be a people who love. Verse number 8, it says, above all, those are very important words right there. It says, above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the beginning of verse number 8 should get our attention, because it says, above all, above all things, what are we to do? As we approach the end, how are we to be divergent? It's not that we're to be angry. It's not that as we are approaching the end that, that we're necessarily being, you know, we're trying to physically take care of ourselves and hoard everything and make sure that we're going to be okay. Peter says, above all, you are to love. The pastor once said that, the, that, that love is the MVP award for all Christians. Let me tell you something. You can be a Christian who can, I can name a book of the Bible, and without you even going to the table of contents, you're there. You can be a guy like that. Y'all know people like that? You know, you're like, the book of Habakkuk. Oh, yes. And they start reading, you're like, what in the world? Uh, you, you can be a guy who, who has never missed church for 39 consecutive years. You can be a person who gives generously to the work of God. And let me tell you something. If you are not a person of love, none of those things matter. Did you know that? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it says, If I speak human or angelic languages but don't have love, Paul said you're a sounding gong, clanging cymbal. He says if you have the gift of prophecy, you understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If you have all faith that can move mountains, but do not have love. He says, I am nothing. He says if you donate, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not love. He says, I gain nothing. Jesus spoke of the importance of love when he said in John 13, 35, he said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So what does this mean? It means that an identifying mark in the life of a believer, one way you can tell if somebody is really a follower of Jesus or not is their life will be marked with love. Now, for some of us, that makes us a little bit nervous, because if you go back to verse number 8, it says, keep your love at full strength for one another. That, that word full strength, it also means to intensely love. And for some of us, it's like, that's kind of weird. What does that mean I'm supposed to intensely love somebody? It makes me nervous. 
Well, that, that word, full strength, it, it is a picture of a guy who's running a race, and as he's coming to the finish line, as he's coming to the end, he stretches out to the tape. He's leaning into it. You know what that means? It means that it is, t- to love, it, it's, it's, it takes work. It is a strain. And I like that a lot because here's what I'm learning. It ain't always easy to love, right? I mean, you think that as a believer that it ought to be so easy. It doesn't matter. You know, you can kick me in the side of the head and I'm going to love you. And I'm like, well, I struggle with that. Well, it's kind of encouraging for me to see that love isn't, doesn't mean it's easy. So, so if we're going to love, you know what it takes? It takes practice. Does that make sense? If I'm going to love, it is something that takes practice. It's not, it, love is not just a feeling. Guys, love is a choice that we make. And it's like a, a runner doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just train and then he doesn't not train and then get up and say, I'm going to go run a race and win. He has to work for it. He has to train to get his body ready for it. The same thing is true concerning as we come to the end. It takes training on our part to love. They may say, well, then how do I, how do I love? How do I train for that? You do it, for one. You know, one of the ways that you, that you practice love is, part of love is being generous. Be generous. You might say, I don't feel like being generous. Not what I ask. Just be generous. You know what I'm learning? As I, as I, when I'm generous, and I make it a point to be generous, I discover, it, did you know, it is fun to be generous. Before you know it, you want to be generous. Um, I, I practice and train to be a person of love by, by respecting people, respecting them when they speak. Now, I might not want to, but I, I'm learning that, that when I actually demonstrate respect towards somebody, I actually become a person who respect. You see, love is, it is a mark of a believer of God. 1 John 4, 8 is a very convicting verse for me because it says, The one who does not love does not know God. Now, how does that one strike you? The one who, who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. We want to practice love. We want to put it into practice. As you put it into practice, before you know it, it's, you're doing it because you want to. But we also want to be a people of love as we are moving to the end because, guys, we need each other. We need to love each other. The people being written to in this book, they were undergoing persecution. And there is nothing more powerful than when you know that if I stumble and if I fall, if I am hurt and I am wounded, I have some teammates who are going to come along and they're going to pick me up. They're not just going to leave me for dead. They're going to rescue me. I think that's what Paul had in mind when he said in Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, he said, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we move to the end, we should be divergent by loving others. The natural thing to do is, as we know that time is coming short, is to do whatever we can to protect me. Peter says, if you're going to be divergent, he says, you, you stretch beyond yourself and you love other people. And what happens when we do that? If people are changed. Uh, there's a great story, a guy named Oliver Cromwell, he was the Lord Protector of England in the 17th century. And there was a soldier that was going to be executed because of some crimes that he had committed. He was going to be executed when the curfew bell rang. It came time for the curfew bell to ring, and it did not ring. 
of Cromwell's sitting there with his soldiers wondering what's going on. So he sent his soldiers to the tower, the bell tower, and when they went up into the belfry, they discovered something rather odd. The soldier who was to be executed, his fiancée, had tied herself to the clapper of the bell. And so as the bell was trying to ring, you couldn't hear it because she was being beat against the inside of that bell. They untied her, they brought her down, they took her before Cromwell, and when Cromwell looked at her, he saw how dirty she was, he saw the bruises on her body, he saw the blood on her hands, and he was moved by her act of love. And here's what he said. He said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. He said, curfew shall not ring tonight. Guys, when we love people, it rescues them. And we live in a time when people need to see believers loving and caring for one another because we, are, we live in a world that's not filled with a whole lot of love. So as we, we approach the look, how can, how can we be different? Well, Peter's very clear. He says, spend your time in prayer, spend your time in love. And this is one that, that really speaks to me as well. He says, and you also want to spend your time in service, you know, in serving other people. Verses 9 through 11 Peter wrote, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift they've received, everyone should use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, his speech should be like the, like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides. So then everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to be divergent. We're going to be different. How do we spend our time? Peter said, by serving others. I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew 20 through 28, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we are moving closer to the end, one thing that is very important is that we spend time serving other people because we want people to see Jesus through us because time's short. And the best way for people to see Jesus is by how you love them, how you treat them, how you serve them. And so that would be easy for you to do when you're a preacher. Guys, let me tell you something. If I tell people, if I just try to speak to people, in my own words, say, hey, I'm a pastor. Let me tell you something. That, that doesn't work real well for me, or for them. Uh, you want, it kills conversations just about quicker than anything else. But you know what gets people's attention more than me saying I'm a pastor? When I serve them. When, when I'm kind to them. When I reach out to them and, and, and do things for them. Now, now, why does that get their attention? The, great, the best way to knock down barriers between people and God is to serve them. Now, speech is important. I think what you say is important. Let me tell you what's even more important is your actions. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty, you shall know them by their fruit. Village Church, as the end is drawing near, and I really believe it is, we want to make sure that we are using our gifts to serve others. Because we want people to see Jesus. Now here's the question. Are you serving anyone? I mean, is, is service a part of your life? And there's a lot of different places to serve. Now in our church, there's, there's, there's opportunities for service here. Just as an example. Uh, after church today, I think there's, I've, oh, there's, over, there's close to 200 people that are going to be over in the next building because uh, Amy, our children's coordinator, is unveiling a new curriculum for the children called Orange. I don't know what Orange means. Um, it can't mean anything good, Keith. 
I don't know what orange means, but here's what I do know. It, it, it's this whole new curriculum where there's going to be more, the kid, more activity for the kids. There's going to be skits and drama used to teach scripture. There's going to be music, all these different things. It means we need more people working with our children. It's an area of service. Uh, in the next, in the next, probably the next month to month and a half, we're going to start renovating the building next door for our students. As we begin to renovate the building next door for our students, and there's going to be, there's going to, I'll give you a little sneak preview. Matthew showed it to me. Uh, there's like a, a basketball gym over there, half, it's half court, nice floor, um, a really cool area for the kids to go and eat, a new seating area for the kids. It's going to be a neat place. I believe as we do that, we begin to reach out to the kids. That area is going to begin to grow with more and more students, and it gives us the opportunity to have more people involved in the ministry to our young people. You know, as, as, the, as people, more and more people enter into the church, we need more and more people who are willing to serve and to reach out to people and, and to, be, to, to greet them warmly as they come into this place because we want them to know that God loves them. Let me tell you something. Being a part of God's family is not a spectator sport. It's about engagement. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Our faith is very much about service. As we approach the end, we don't hide from everybody, we serve everybody. A great example of this is there was a, uh, there's a great story about a place in Spain, in Segovia, Spain. There was an aqueduct, a Roman aqueduct that was built there in 109 AD. Brought water into all the townspeople. You know how long it brought water? They used that aqueduct for 60 generations of men and women. Okay, how long is that? 1,900 years. That water fed that town from that aqueduct until the early 1900s. And they finally said, you know what, we're going to modernize. We're going to turn that aqueduct into a museum piece. Here's what's interesting. Within a couple of years of that aqueduct no longer being used, it crumbled and fell. You know why? It dried out no longer being used anymore. What, what 1,900 years of service could not do, what 1,900 years of use could not do and destroy idleness disintegrated it. Christians, Village Church, let me tell you something. If we are not a people of service, we will be just like that aqueduct. If we're not about serving, about reaching people, Eventually we will crumble and we will fall. That's why it's important for us to remember time's short. So how are we going to spend our time? Well, Peter shares with us. He says you ought to be praying. You ought to be loving. And you ought to be serving. As we do those things, what happens is life comes about through the power of Jesus. Let us be a church that is divergent. And a church that is about touching the lives of other people. For, as verse 11 says, for the glory of God.